0: We're now in our third week of our series of the seven deadly sins. We've already talked about the sin of pride. We talked about the sin of envy. Today we're going to focus on anger. And next week, just in case you have somebody that needs to hear that sermon, we're going to be talking about sloth. Okay? Well, there's a couple key points that's important for us to keep in mind as we think about this series. And one is to remember that these sins are deadly, not so much because of their severity, but because they're so common to our human experience. You get a group of people together for any length of time, and at least some of these, maybe all of these, are going to show up after a while. The church fathers who made these famous consider them as categories of sin. The belief was that all sin originates in one form or another from these seven sins. So with that in mind, let's focus today on the sin of anger. And it isn't hard to see this as one of the seven deadly sins, is it? We, we recognize how much it can impact our relationships. Sometimes we've been on the receiving end of anger that's been either too excessive or inappropriate, and we feel the sting of that. Sometimes we've been on the giving end. And we've said something that we regret or we find ourselves having to apologize for later. So we understand how vital, how how impactful this emotion can be. I have to confess that probably anger is the hardest of these seven for me to manage. Because see, I grew up in a family with a schizophrenic mother. And in that Household, it seemed that almost all emotion that was shared tended to be negative. Even if I had something to celebrate, my mother found out about it, she'd find some way to worry about it and she'd walk the floors of our house until she wore herself out. I remember going to bed at night and often hearing my father at the other end of the house yelling at my mother, trying to somehow take away her nervous anxiety, and it never worked. In those days you see we didn't go to counselors and I look back now and I grieve that <clears throat> our family didn't receive the guidance <clears throat> that we needed to <clears throat> excuse me to cope in healthy ways with mom's mental illness. And in the absence of that guidance I found my own way to cope with it which was basically to suppress my feelings, to put <clears throat> and submerge my pain and frustration. And so the result is when I grew into adulthood, I I would tend to avoid any intense emotion wherever it was expressed. I discovered very early in life that depression was actually anger turned inward because I experienced that in my own life. And it's been quite a journey for me emotionally and spiritually to find healthy ways to share my anger and express them. If you're around me for very long, you'll discover that I tend to get quiet when I'm angry or sad. My wife has learned to just leave me alone. <laughs> Let me go off and sort it out because I need to somehow get it to make sense of my own mind. I need to understand the source of that anger before I'm able to talk about it. Well, <clears throat> that's one way to cope with anger, to handle it. We all have our own ways. Some of us, we tend to spark quickly. We share our anger, we express it, and we're over with it. It's okay. Some of us are really good at articulating our feelings, and so we find very healthy ways to process that and share that with others. And it can be very productive. Some of us resort to passive-aggressive behavior. We find ourselves complaining or gossiping about someone behind their backs. Counselors like to call that triangling. But what's critical for us today is to realize that we tend to dump our anger in the places where it is safest to share it. And where's that going to be? It's going to be our families. Our families tend to bear the brunt of our anger. It's just kind of how it is. And so, how you handle your anger has a lot to do with how satisfied you're going to be in your marriage and your relationships. And you're going to leave a lasting impact on your children for the rest of their lives. So we need to learn the powerful truth that was just expressed in this passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 that says, be angry without sinning. Be angry without sinning. See, there's a danger in identifying anger as one of the seven deadly sins because it's Easy to assume that all anger is, is negative. I've often heard Christians seem to suggest that their goal is to eliminate all anger in their life. If they express it somehow, that's a lack of faith. That if you get upset about the circumstances surrounding you, then you're not trusting in God. But that's not the message we hear in the scriptures. To be angry. But not sin, in this passage from the writer of Ephesians, suggests that anger is a normal human emotion that should not be suppressed. It understands that anger is actually rooted in our creation. And we serve a God who got angry. We serve our Lord Jesus Christ who got angry on many occasions. You don't have to go very far into your Hebrew Bible to, to realize that God gets angry, right? <clears throat> as a matter of fact, we, get, we have to run the, uh, the danger of making sure that we don't tend to categorize the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as God of, a God of wrath and the New Testament a God of love. What you need to understand if you read the Old Testament all the way through, you discover that God is like a protective parent who is in covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And sometimes, sometimes that requires discipline, sometimes harsh discipline, in order for that people to become the special nation that God intended for them. God wanted them to be a light to all the nations where there was justice, where there's mercy, and where the stranger is welcomed. Then you turn to the New Testament, and unfortunately when we watch some of our movies about Jesus, the life of Jesus, they often depict Jesus as dispassionate, as having no emotions, just somber all the time. But that's really not what the biblical evidence provides. Of course, the, sometimes the feeling is that Jesus only got angry once, right? When, when would that be? Overturning the tables in the temple, right? But if you read the New Testament, you discover Jesus gets angry at other occasions. Mark chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6, we get the story that Jesus goes into a synagogue and he sees a man whose hand is withered. And Jesus heals that man. The trouble is, it's the Sabbath day. And according to the Torah law, the scribes and Pharisees believed that that was considered work. And therefore, Jesus was breaking the Torah law. When they challenged him on it, he grew angry. In Mark 10, Jesus gets angry at his own disciples because parents were bringing their children up to Jesus, wanting him to bless them. But they didn't think the children were important enough for Jesus to take time for. And what does Jesus say? Let the children come to me. But he grew angry with his disciples for forbidding those parents from coming to him. Let me bring up one more. Read the 23rd chapter of Matthew sometime. It's that lengthy rant of Jesus where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And after each one of those statements, he he follows it up with a rant like this. You make the new convert twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You blind fools. You strain a gnat but swallow a camel. You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of bones of the dead and filth. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how can you escape from being sentenced to hell? Have you ever said any of those things to somebody lately? (laughs) Don't you think Jesus is just a little frustrated? So Jesus does get angry. These are just the obvious examples, and I think if you read between the lines, you'd find other places where Jesus is certainly angry as well. Jesus was a real human being who felt and expressed anger just like you and me. He is the Son of God who demonstrates there's nothing wrong with being angry. The question is, what will you do with that anger? So I encourage you to give yourself permission to be angry a natural, God-given response which has to be managed in a way that benefits our relationships and helps our emotional and spiritual health. Ephesians makes it clear that you can be angry without sinning. The sin is the behavior that can be destructive to you or to others. Without getting technical. Scientists tell us that our emotions come from a specific part of our brain called the amygdala, two little almond-shaped organs inside our brain. And then the challenge is, in a different place, the cortex is the thinking part of our brain. The challenge is, do we allow ourselves the time for our cortex to impose its will upon the amygdala? Or do we have the spiritual practices in place that allow that connection to be made? And here's the challenge. The amygdala is a lot closer to the mouth than the cortex. So it gets there first, if you know what I mean. So there's several tactics that we can employ to help slow that down and let the thinking part of our brain get involved. Get some exercise. If you get frustrated, just go do something. Don't be afraid to call a timeout. Professional counselor Christian Boyce talks about breathing exercises. Give yourself a chance to breathe before you react. And if there's something that's really bugging you, reach out and talk to somebody who's a great listener that helps you process and think it through. God did not design us to solve our problems on our own. And most of all, be forgiving of yourself. As Pastor Matt's going to share in a little bit, we all fly off the handle sometimes. And if you're willing to be humble, vulnerable, not afraid to say you're sorry, most situations can be repaired. The sin is not the emotion of anger, it's the continued failure to let go of that anger. Anger can motivate us, it can be very helpful to a relationship, it can make them deeper and stronger if we process them right. So let me close with a story that I have shared before, but I think it applies so, so directly to what we're talking about today. When I was a teenager, I was driving our John Deere 105 combine, which at that time was a pretty good-sized combine. It's, it's kind of small potatoes these days. But I was just a teenager. My dad put a lot of responsibility on me, and, and since I wasn't old enough to drive a truck to, draw, to haul the grain back and forth to the elevator, he put me on the combine. Things were going well. I was in our biggest field, and somehow I forgot about that auger, you know, that sticks out the sides. And when I was turning around on one end of the cornfield, I forgot about that auger, and I hit a telephone pole. And it stopped that combine just on a dime, shut down the engine. My dad happened to be sitting in the truck watching the whole thing happen. And I saw him bound out of that truck so fast. He covered that 100 feet of field so quickly, and he bounded up that vertical ladder. And the look on his face, I knew I was dead. He was so angry. But somehow, in the time it took for him to come up that ladder and open that door to the cab, he got himself under control. And he just emphatically said, well, Come on, get out of here and let's get this thing fixed. And that was that. Now stop and think how differently that could have turned out. I mean, Dad was mad enough to physically harm me. <laughs> or he could have said something so hurtful that it would have scarred me for years to come and made me hesitant to try anything that was out of my comfort zone. Instead, He got things under control and invited me to take responsibility for my mistakes. And what a lesson in leadership that has been all my life. I think about this experience time and time again. It's taught me to own up to my mistakes, deal with them, learn from them, and move on. My dad was angry, but he did not sin. I pray you embrace these words from Ephesians 4.26 and find the permission to be angry But learn the strategies that work for you, that keep you from turning that anger into sin. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to Pastor Matt's message as we continue to think about how powerful this emotion is. May we embrace our anger and find the ways we need to keep from sinning. Amen.
1: Good morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm glad that you're joining us for worship this morning. In this Lenten season, as we work through our series on the seven deadly sins, it's really interesting to think through some of these. This week we'll be focusing on wrath, sometimes called anger. And of the topics we'll be covering in this Lenten season, this this one might have the most ambiguity. I say that because anger in of itself is not sinful. In fact, the verse that Pastor Jerry has chosen for today literally says, be angry without sinning. So then, what can make anger sinful? Or as some have said, what makes anger into wrath? I feel like this is not actually a good distinction to make because suggesting that wrath is always sinful is also really not true based on the actions of Christ. According to the Catholic Catechism, the Lord denounced murderous anger and hatred as immoral. And anger is a desire for revenge. If anger reaches the point of deliberate desire to kill or seriously wound a neighbor... It is gravely against charity, and it is a mortal sin. So, according to kind of the definition of the seven deadly sins in the the Catholic world, anger becomes a sin when it involves wanting to take revenge on someone or harm them. I would say that there's maybe even more to it than that. And Jesus calls out anger in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he says, You've heard it said to those who lived long ago, do not commit murder. And... All who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with their brother and sister will be in danger of judgment. We talked about this a bit when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, but I think it's good to remember that in the original language this was written in, it had multiple words for anger. And this particular one that Jesus uses here is orgizo, which is translated angry in contrast to thumos, which is typically translated as wrath. The difference, as noted in Vine's Greek New Testament Dictionary, is that orgizo suggests a more settled or abiding condition of the mind, frequently with a view to taking revenge. Orgizo is less sudden in its rise than thumos, wrath, but more lasting in its nature. So it is not yell at the other cars on the highway angry. That's thumos, which is a whole other discussion. But it is stew about the way your neighbors take care of their yard angry. It's that lasting anger that can get in and break relationships without a word needing to be said. So... Getting angry as a feeling, experiencing anger, isn't really what we're talking about then. We're talking about what comes after that. Once the anger is experienced, what are you doing with it? Do you stew in it? Do you let it build? Do you let it have a hold on a part of you? Do you live angry? There are places, these are the places where anger becomes dangerous. Our passage from James uses the same word for anger as Jesus or Gizo. So when James says an angry person does not produce God's righteousness, he's talking about those, he's not talking about those fly off the handle people. They too might struggle to produce God's righteousness, but that's not what's being said. He's saying that while we struggle, do in anger, while that orgizo takes a part of us, we are troubled to fit God into the same space. The contemporary English version of the Bible for James 1.20 says it like this, if you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things God wants done. This also separates this kind of anger from the temporary flare-up because it suggests an entire state of being, which for many of us might tempt us to disconnect from it. We might say, well, if this is talking about someone who's just angry all the time, well, then that's not me. But it's more complicated than that because this kind of anger lives under the surface. It can exist within us without us needing to really think about it. Think about an argument you've had with someone close to you. Have you ever been in the midst of an argument with a family member or a spouse or a close friend and all of a sudden you find yourself wanting to bring things up that start with, Yeah, but you always something. Or, Yeah, but don't you remember when you... These things that we hold on to are those settled, abiding conditions of the mind. They become a part of us to the point that we don't even consider them anger anymore. In fact, that's not even our own fault. They're the ones with the problem. And if orgizo can live in our closest relationships, how much more can it live in our prejudices and our judgments? I think this is why James says when we have orgizo, we don't produce Righteousness, because our relationship with God's creation isn't right. But James even has a solution for us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to grow angry. Communication. Jerry's passage for today invites us to not let the sun go down on your anger. And that is rarely, if ever, A solo endeavor and we are not only called as God's children in the community of God to work on our own anger but to work with those around us on theirs as well remember in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus also says if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift at the altar and go First, make things right with your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. This part isn't about you being angry, but you being the cause of someone else's anger. Within our job as God's children to produce righteousness is also to help others do the same. So, this Lenten season, take some time to reflect on what lies underneath inside of you. Are there things that you hold on to that hinder your desire to build a community with those around you? Are you holding on to things for that gotcha moment in an argument? Are you avoiding certain people because of what you have built in your own heart against them? These are all orgizo. And James tells us that holding on to those things prevents us from producing God's righteousness. Find those things in your life. Ask God to help you release them. Talk to those who you are angry with and ask for forgiveness. Be humble, slow to speak, quick to listen,
0: and grow the community of God. Amen.